0: Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Yeah, and as you were as you were talking about kind of like litigating the 86272, it's I was like, all right, are we going to have you know a modernized Wrigley right where it's like you went into the convenience store to swap out your gum? Here's the stuff that you could do. Here's the stuff that you could do, and have that exact check versus, you know, what you can and can't do and how that's going to translate to that modernized space. And if, you know, states, it always kind of blows my mind when you look at kind of the factor presence threshold standards from, you know, Wayfair, it's in all 50 states, 46 states, whatever. And still for income tax purposes, there are only, you know, what, 15 ish from like mm-hmm. a corporate income tax side that have that factor presence threshold that more people haven't, people, more states haven't put that in. And so, where, you know, and maybe they're not incentivized to anymore if you can't claim 86,272 at all, like how that would kind of transfer across or if, you know, there is kind of, kind of be that small business exemption ish, right? From, right. you know, an income tax perspective. Yeah, the map is actually pretty shocking when you look at a visual of like
1: which states have um, factor presence for income tax purposes. It's, I mean, it's pretty clear that it's a very small number of states. Um, But what's interesting about the MTC Mm -hmm. position is the MTC said if you're going to adopt this website position state, you should have factor presence too. And, um, you know, Minnesota with the draft revenue notice, we don't have factor presence. We don't have any threshold for economic nexus on the income tax side. But, you know, we're picking the MTC positions that we like, I guess, and kind of not following through on the, on the secondary recommendation, which is if you're going to do this, you should have factor presence because you need a small seller exception. And secondly, that if you are going to adopt these standards, you should do it through rulemaking. Haven't done that either. It's a draft revenue notice, so it's
0: interesting. Yeah. Well, California, even though you know, has there was one of the first or the first top three, call it. We still even got a pushback for one of our clients. It's like, okay, we aren't physically there. We don't even visit. We have some customers. We are well, well below the adjusted for inflation sales threshold, and California's like, yeah, but you're an income here, so file a return. Wow. And it's like. We ke- we're not going to litigate it. We're not going to spend any more time because it's the minimum tax. They owe the 800 bucks mm-hmm. and they're going to spend $15,000 to argue this position and it's not And maybe worth it. it. Take three
2: years. Right. Yeah. That's why the litigation is a challenge. You've got to have the big taxpayers doing it, not the little guys. Unless there's a giant class action that takes time, effort, and, and, and bandwidth to support. So you just don't see the advocacy unless you're a large multinational business. So there is this thing where the biggest businesses of our America of America are bearing the burden of all the small businesses are non-compliant and it's just sort of this push pull of like what is efficient it's really very kind of sad but I don't see that changing with right. states right well and I also think it's going to be in a high
1: high state tax rate right like those are the states where you're going to see the controversy on this topic instead of like
2: or a lot of population. I mean, you got 30 million, I look at our our map of America, right? Like our states are very similar in size. So, you know, you got New York, Texas, Illinois, California, Florida, 30 million humans live there. There's a lot of tax needed to support the infrastructure of those states. So they have the wherewithal to justify hiring more bodies, to do more enforcement, to be, but you just don't see that always in the smaller states. So I mean, you think South Dakota matter to Wayfair? Give me a break. There's eight hundred thousand people there. They got to turn on the nexus and collect the tax. They didn't need to take that case to the Supreme Court, but they did it kind of as a courtesy, right? I think uh, because that's a lot of cost to argue a Supreme Court case and not know what you're doing when you could easily collect the tax from your. Right, customers but it makes a difference door. all
1: across the country too. So it's you know,
0: yeah, and it did. Do you see in Any similarities other than, you know, getting mad at whatever jurisdiction you're going to litigate in type of business that is able to take a tax issue all the way through litigation? Yeah. I mean, there's
1: some clients want to do it on principle, right? And so those are the ones that are like, this is just wrong and we're going to litigate it. Mm -hmm. Some cases really aren't suitable for settlement. Like I said, you know, it's kind of an all or nothing proposition. It's an ongoing issue. They just, Mm -hmm. clients need certainty too. And so even like settling a a few years in an unprincipled way doesn't fix it. Because then what about all the later years where the facts are the same and the law is the same? And what are we going to do then? The other reason we see some litigation is there's just a long lag time in administrative appeals. So you get an auditor that's, Mm -hmm. you know, rogue or totally wrong. And at that point you have a choice. Do we sit in an administrative appeal for three, four years while we wait for a decision? And again, maybe you get, some certainty and maybe you don't, or do you just push it to litigation to get an answer quicker because we really can't afford to, or don't want to wait, don't want this pending over our heads. And lots of settlements can be achieved once litigation is filed. So it's just sometimes a quicker route to get to an answer um, and to get it in front of someone than the auditor. But I do think too, we're seeing just, like you said, more aggressive state positions you know, and, and if you know that that's the position of the Department of Revenue and the auditor is applying it and the appeals officer is going to apply it, then really the
2: only way to challenge it is through litigation. If you know that that's the position. Well, we recently let our home rule cities, we had this pay to play law. So if you want to litigate, go to the district court to litigate a case at our city level, right. you had to pay the tax as if you owed it. I mean, that was crazy that we have that rule. So our, this coalition I've been involved in for the last six plus years. We got that law eviscerated. We don't have that. So you could go immediately to district court or you can go to a conferee, which means you're going to lose. So stretch it out forever because they're just going to keep having the government deciding against you. So that's been a huge benefit. But we as a state didn't have that opportunity until just recently. So, and you know, litigation is very different across it. But I agree with you. If you threaten litigation, you do get settlement discussions quicker. And then it really just comes down to the money, but also today and tomorrow. So you have to consider both. Because it's that consequence Hughes, if you capitulate here, you gotta keep that standard tomorrow. It's that's the thing that's disheartening sometimes. Well, Judy, how many
0: times have we seen think. that, you know, you come to kind of an agreement under audit, but audits have no precedent. It's no rule and it'll change from auditor to auditor, from day to day. You know, they could mm-hmm. interpret something, exact same facts, exact same company, exact same, you know, invoice from a company, but it's whatever happened on your prior audit has no bearing on what's gonna happen on this one.
1: Yep, we have a case in litigation just yep. like that. Prior audit had favorable result. Issue was considered and evaluated. Subsequent audit opposite position tax assessment. And like, what do you do, right? So I think that's
0: exactly right. So then, kind of, is there any? You know, we as a non-lawyer, I just find kind of the the process of taking something to court and arguing fascinating. And I think a lot of, you know, accountants who aren't lawyers, this is kind of another side that, you know, we haven't gotten to like touch, taste, feel and whatnot. Is there a case that you were a part of or, you know, that really kind of made an impact on you? Yeah. Um,
1: There are a couple that I could talk about. Um, so one of them is over and it was actually a property tax exemption case and so in that case we had a government owned hospital fighting with the county over property tax dollars and so we had a um it's called a hospital district which is a government entity right it's just like a bunch of cities that come together to form a hospital district to operate a hospital in a rural area And the county um, decided that these clinic properties that were owned and operated by the hospital should be subject to property tax. So the hospital district to pay that property tax assessment levied its own property taxes. And so it was like literally a situation of like taking property tax dollars from one government entity and giving it to another. And that's what like this whole fight was about. And it went up to the Minnesota Supreme Court. And sure enough, the clinics were exempt and the hospital district um, prevailed on that. But the fact that this had to get litigated just like To resolve this dispute between two government entities just like really shows, I think, how much inefficiency there is. Like sometimes I think everyone just needs to step back and be like, what are we actually talking about here? So Mm -hmm. that was a case that I thought was really significant and meaningful. And it was for a good cause, right? Like because when the hospital saves on property tax and invests in healthcare, like it buys more MRI machines um, instead of... Mm-hmm. just handing the money over to another government entity. So,
0: well, yeah, especially um, when the the primary purpose was to provide care for a group of, you know, constituents that don't have care because they're not, you know, in direct, you know, they're close to a city or
1: Exactly. Or that was the whole
0: point. The whole reason the district exists is to provide access to healthcare
1: to rural Minnesotans who don't otherwise have that access. And so it was just kind of a crazy situation. So that's one example. I have more if you're interested, but. (laughs) Yeah. What's,
0: what's one more. Okay. I I, I just personally love those stories.
1: Yeah. So um, another one is a residency case that I litigated. So in that case, Mark uh, moved to Florida and his wife and adult daughter who had disabilities um, remained Minnesota residents. And the, state's argument in assessing tax and saying Mark was still a Minnesota resident was that spouses have joint intent like you can only have one intent as a spouse couple and also that if Mark really had moved to Florida he would have had to abandon his wife and daughter and like all of these arguments in the face of the fact that like they went to Florida all the time to be with him and he was visiting them in Minnesota all the time. But the reality was, is that the adult daughter needed to be a Minnesota resident because her healthcare providers were here because her only sort of social circle was here. So she had to remain that kind of home base in Minnesota for medical reasons. And the fact that this case had to get litigated through trial, I think was also really disappointing because, you know, I mean, the court rejects the idea that you have to have one joint intent. Each spouse can have their own intent as to where they want to live and to like for the state to come in with like presumptions about like human nature kind of, I think, and the um, just the impact on that family and the assumptions that they made that, you know, really weren't reflected in the facts and to have to go through a trial on something like that, I think was really disheartening.
2: And he's only owning, he only has his, by default, his residence is why Minnesota gets to tax that He may not even be making his income. But he got, he in was Minnesota retired. So it
1: was all just, you know, interest income, basically dividends. Right.
2: Um, oh, so it was. That's yeah. brutal. That's brutal. Because it takes away free will. You're like, I have enough wealth or whatever. I could have dual residency. I could live in multiple places. You see a lot of like, I think about Tina Turner who just passed away Mm -hmm. living in Switzerland. I'm sure there was a reason for that. Um, She obviously had a $70 million place there, but she probably was paying so much U.S. federal income tax on her worldwide earnings. She's like, I got to separate from this nation that I love, but I'm not going to pay all this tax just because. Yeah. So you wonder about that, that people have to make decisions about where they live because of this crazy tax. Yeah. And I mean,
1: I think he really wanted to live in Florida. It was what he wanted to do in retirement. He lived in this community um, that was important to him. It's where his social friends social circle was. And they really um, spent a lot of time together as a family, but just home based in different locations. And that was not something that the state really could understand until we got all the way through trial.
2: There's so many Minnesota and Wisconsinans that oh, live sure. in yeah, Florida, like huge. right? Cause it's Florida. cold there where you live. They want to well, be where it's warmer. kind of like dipping their yeah. toes
1: into Florida. So they'll go for like four weeks or yep. six weeks and then it becomes three months. And then uh-huh. they're like, why am I just not here most of the time? So it's, a, it's also a very, very active area in Minnesota right now with people moving to Florida and the state auditing those moves. And New York. A lot of New Yorkians live in Florida. That's well, Minnesota's got the Naples side, and New York has like the Miami side.
0: (laughs) Different cultures of like where they're relocating from. Yeah, Naples is just part of
2: Minnesota. But really, you kind of born somewhere, you stay or not. I was just visiting family. My husband is one of six, just visiting family in Atlanta. Out of all his six siblings, only three live out of state. And it was only two, him and his oldest brother, and his oldest brother just lived like three hours north. His youngest brother relocated from Indiana to, to Georgia. I mean, that was a huge yeah. life shift for them. So, but uh, you know, job related and it made sense, but you know, just, you don't leave your roots usually cause you yeah. have your community there. So to up and relocate is kind of a big deal. So you better, it can't just be tax-oriented. It's lifestyle-oriented. Personally, like I'm prepared for some
0: pushback on my Minnesota tax return from Colorado because my husband was going to move there. So we had, you know, dual, I was staying here with our kids for a personal reason, right? He was establishing work in Minnesota, but then that didn't work out, right? So he moved back here as soon as he could. And even like the beginning parts of his kind of Minnesota job were done remotely from here. But then, you know, we're also, he was also collecting Minnesota unemployment, not living in Minnesota, but paid into the system, the job paid into the system. So I'm just waiting for Minnesota to not like my tax return. Oh, totally.
1: Yeah, that sounds like a huge And I'm not even
0: like, (laughs) I don't. He didn't make that much money to make it worth their fight, but there's a big difference between a Minnesota
2: 9.7% rate and my Colorado 4.5%. Totally. But isn't that funny? Because we obviously, as you know, have another teammate in Minnesota who we hired 100 years ago at a former firm I worked at, and we had an office in Minnesota, so it was logical to have him. Um, But now you know, he, we aren't in Minnesota as a HQ, but now with like, whatever, he's a good yeah. person. Let's hire you. It's, I don't care where you live. Yeah. So that's been a huge shift mm-hmm. in even my career. You know, I mean, you're in your office. Yep. I'm in my house. I don't even go out to my office anymore because no one yeah, is Fridays there. Yeah.
1: are a little <laughs> slim around here, but yeah. So we just moved offices. So that's our big update. So Monday was our first day in this new space. So still kind of trying to figure out what's okay. where, but yeah. So I was in on Monday and then today, but home Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, kind of the
2: opposite. And then downtown, similar yep, downtown. commute. Okay, yeah, because that's another thing. Like we're struggling. We're out for lease next year, and we're like, what are we gonna do? Hardly anyone goes in the mm-hmm. office anymore, and now we're in ten states. We have employees in ten states because. We have opened the door to the people, not to the tax. We want to have good people. And if they're living in whatever, fine, we'll figure out the tax. We're tax preparers. We can deal with it. But we, you know, it's been kind of a funny um, segue. And even my, I remember years ago, my husband, I got married. He wanted to live in Telluride, like a remote mountain community. I'm like, where are we going to work? I'm not going to be a waitress. I mean, fine, but that's not what I want to do. I don't want to run a hotel. What am I going to do for a living? Now I could have done it. Of course, I couldn't afford to live in Telluride. It's very expensive. But regardless, that's been a huge shift into our mountain communities in Colorado alone. People are like, I want to live in Steamboat. I want to live in Aspen. I want to live in Winter Park. I don't need to live in New York in a little tiny apartment that I can't leave. So there's been a huge shift in America about where they want to live for their day yep. after work hours. For sure. Yeah.
0: So as we kind of wrap up, you know, we talked about maybe 86272 could be the next hot button um, maybe some other residency part year remote work is there anything you know as you know practitioners that we should be thinking about or have any parting words for from our badass litigator friends yeah i mean i
1: think we've already been seeing an uptick in um, litigation over-sourcing the preview of our little yeah. presentation <laughs> Do yes, hot line, take. Masha,
0: Masha and I are presenting at IPT in a couple weeks or a week, a couple days, whatever, and on sourcing. And there were a lot of cases that came out as we will be hopefully squeezing in in our fifty minute presentation. And I think there's in the last more. couple years.
1: Right. Like, so we've already seen some of like, is cost of performance really market-based and what does market-based mean? And how do you even get a service and where do you get a service and who's the customer? And there's just so many unanswered questions still. Um, There's been some litigation on it from certain states that I think have been active, but I think more and more states are going to be litigating the sourcing issues um, just because there's a lot on that right now. I also think just pass-through entity taxation Ugh. is going to continue to Bane of my percolate existence. because like with you know ask special holdings and with goldman sachs and other cases like that it's so complex and if you follow the multi-state tax commission's projects their pass-through entity project is insanely huge and so like just reading their issue paper i mean it's very long and it's just full of questions and there are all these questions in all like from nexus to like do you follow federal to like sourcing like And in the pass through entity context, like apportionment, like which entities factors do you use and when to unitary? I mean, there's so many unanswered questions in the pass through entity space still Mm -hmm. that I think some of that will continue to percolate up through litigation. And then not to pick on the MTC, but I think their study of the digital products space in the sales tax world is going to create some controversy
2: at some point because if we're going- to Well, this whole customer's customer stuff too, like who Mm -hmm. the heck bought it? Like people don't Mm -hmm. track this stuff. People just take a credit card online and transact business. Yeah, Yeah. it's a problem. But if
1: digital products are going to be defined like that, anything that has a one and a zero, and then if states decide to tax anything that's got a one and a zero, I mean, we're going to have some sales tax issues. So I think there's a lot. There's a lot of like really, really interesting um, and I think fairly controversial in the state and local tax world areas that are going to be the subject of controversy coming up.
2: And I think, um, I think about Uber or, you know, just any of these companies that are out there in the world of like non-traditional kind of your gig. Some of your business, even Amazon, right? Yeah. The gig thing. I mean, like everybody's just getting money. There's all cool. this money yep. moving in America that just could happen electronically. And then somehow yep. the service is performed. Who, how do you source that? How do you tax it? Huge problem. And then a lot of business didn't grow up with a taxi mentality. So they didn't set themselves up procedurally to gather the information they need to tax it appropriately. So you don't have addresses, you don't have zip codes. Like they didn't even think about that when they took the money because they just ran the credit card and they needed a zip code. Maybe. I don't even know that sometimes, yeah, you need sometimes that. they made assumptions
1: on how to do that. Like you said, who's the customer? Like, where are we even sourcing this thing? And that's mm-hmm. yeah, both sales tax and income tax side. The other area I think of active litigation that's going to be coming up is worker classification. So like on the gig economy space, right? Like mm-hmm. the Ubers and all the others of the world that have, you know, independent contractors versus employees. That is like a huge area of controversy that we're seeing as well at the state level. So that is, yep. an, I think that's also going to...
2: Continue. Well, and I think that comes from a procedural thing. So, we have, as a society, put sales yep. tax on the vendor, not on the consumer. We are putting income tax withholding on the employer. So, who's the employer? So, this all has to do with like, that's how we did it. It was, you know, this transaction. And now you're like, well, maybe not. And then, of course, small business doesn't want to have employees really because they don't want to pay all the withholding. They don't want to pay self employment tax. I mean, there's just all these tax-related issues mm-hmm. driving behavior. Instead of just doing what they need to do, moving to another state, hiring a human, see if it works. Yeah, but tax is a rollout from that.
0: Even if you were treated as an independent contractor, like the person who's just, you know, kind of got like a side hustle, they don't know what to do. My husband is, you know, kind of in right. between his W-2 jobs, kind of did some consulting stuff, and he's like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. And part of me as like, yeah, I live in this space, not maybe in that area of expertise, but it's like, it doesn't really tell you what to do. So like the average human who just wants to do things correctly or has a great idea doesn't know how to do it, which is kind of maybe one of the arguments that says, all right, Uber, you have to make them employees and you have to do all of these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because we got to put the onus on the the larger company that has a capacity to handle the masses instead of the individual. And that's why the Wayfair case happened because nobody was self-reporting use tax.
0: Well, and the mar- brand
2: marketplace. Yeah. I remember I bought something. And my son, when he was in New Orleans, and I never used Amazon until I started collecting tax, just so you know, because I don't want to be a hypocrite. Um, and he goes, Mom, if I get it on Amazon, I don't have to pay tax. I'm like, yes, you do, honey. You just don't get audited. He goes, "Oh, I didn't know that. And I thought, isn't that funny? And he's much younger than me. Of course he doesn't know that. So what did the younger generation think? And then all these people come up with these wonderful ideas. Hey, we need this thing. But then they don't think to build the tax consequence into their automation solution. So it's a problem because you're backing into it sometimes with these very large now multi-state entities that have been Expedia is a great example, Travelocity. They didn't think about that. They just thought they were a con to do it like a commission agent to like set up lodging when you got a couple extra hotel rooms but eh, are you really not selling the lodging to me so shouldn't you be collecting it Mm -hmm. huge issue yeah well masha thank you so much
0: for you know your time today and you know the relationship that you have built out with you know some of our team members and i really look forward to presenting with you in a few weeks and so just thank you so much for being here and joining us today yeah And taking such
2: a leadership position. It's just exciting for me to see you up there and and heading the women's initiatives and all the things you've been doing. Thank you for that. That's that's wonderful to see this. In my 28, 29-year career, I love seeing this very young generation coming in and taking a leadership role to set things forward. It's thank fantastic you. to see. Thank you. So congrats. It's a lot of fun. It's,
1: um, yeah, I love doing the women's organizations and groups and kind of having these relationships with you and with others. So thank you. Thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah.
0: Well, this was Cultivation. Until next time. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.